0: and their neighbor is telling you all of these horrific stories about their childbirth experiences and the awful things that have transpired in their lives in the most exciting and terrifying moment of your life. Natalie would take necessary vitamins and, until, the, fi- until the, the big day finally comes. And all of these visions of peace and tranquility disappear moments before the baby is about to arrive. And the day comes and there's this intensity about it and there's screaming and tears and discomfort and Natalie seemed to be like that too. Anyways, when each of us, each of our babies were born, no matter how much we prepared, they were born in different ways. Abigail, was it took four hours from first contraction to delivery. Silas was three hours. Elizabeth was an emergency C-section. And what we discovered was that no matter how prepared we were or weren't, these babies were coming. And in many different ways, Passover becomes the Israelites' final preparation for God's deliverance of them. That regardless of whether the Israelites were ready or not, God's judgment was coming, and they were leaving Egypt. The Passover is the significant moment in history for the Israelites, but it also points us to the gospel narrative centered around Jesus. Up to this point, the Israelites had been slaves to the Egyptians for about 430 years, long time. But that was coming to an end. God had raised up a leader in Moses as he prepared the Israelites to leave, as they were leaving the bondage of captivity and slavery, and Moses would lead them into freedom. However, the Israelites had their own action steps that needed to happen first. God had brought his judgment and wrath upon Pharaoh and the Egyptian religious system through a series of judgment acts we call plagues. The plagues that God had sent were judgments to provide opportunities for Pharaoh and the Egyptian people to repent. And this last plague was an all-encompassing plague That wasn't just just judgment on the Egyptians, but instead it was an opportunity for the Israelites to either choose the gods of Egypt or to align themselves and choose the God of Israel. This was their opportunity to opt into the rescue that God was about to provide for them. But God gives Moses and Aaron some very specific instructions to ensure their safety, to ensure that they opt in is what it says in Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what What each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the house where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, lambs, head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. A lot of instructions for that barbecue. Everything God does here in His instructions has purpose and intent behind it. But what we need to understand here is that Passover isn't just a religious ritual or act that the Jews were suddenly going to start practicing. This Passover is this event that is filled with this tension of death and suffering and joy and celebration. And these things, they butt heads pretty significantly here. And as I was preparing this message, I was reading the commentator, and the commentator described the Passover as God's tactic to deliver Israel from Egypt. I thought that was an interesting word to describe the Passover. Because generally, I've always associated Passover as this festival or this Jewish celebration. Tactics, though, are are strategies that are used to ensure that, that an opponent will have the smallest advantage and least likelihood of success and victory. And the commentator suggested that this tactic from God, that although it would be filled with pain, suffering and death, would also reflect God's judgment, not just on the people of Israel, people of Egypt, sorry, but on the religious system of the Egyptians. And here we see God has given very clear directives, and all the Israelites need to do is be obedient to those directions, and God will do the rest. And what we see is a tactic. This tactic to to ensure that that the opponent has the smallest advantage and least likelihood of success and victory. This tactic that God was inviting the Israelites into this redemptive plan that he was about to execute. So that night, the elders began to sort out the choicest, perfect lambs to be sacrificed. The, The attitude behind that was God deserves our best. And this night certainly called for the very best. Now typically, sacrifices would have, been ha- would have happened at the front doors of a home, which would have made the doorpost a fairly convenient location for the next steps to, to take a hyssop branch and dip it into the blood and splash it on the front entrance. And the doorposts were covered with this blood of the lambs. And this Passover sacrifice and the blood of the Lamb became an action of preparing the Israelites for the deliverance that God was about to bring upon them. So instead of prenatal classes, this was their pre-deliverance class. Let me say that again. The Passover sacrifice and the blood of the Lamb became an action of preparing the Israelites for the deliverance that God was about to bring upon them. And the blood on the doorposts then become a sign for the angel of the Lord, known as the destroyer. To move on to the next house, striking down the promised plague against any household without the blood of the Lamb marking their front doors. The Passover becomes God's redemptive plan for the Israelites. Providing them with an opportunity to transplant them from bondage and slavery to life and now freedom. Passover is this act of redemption and fulfillment of God's promise that He would take them from Egypt. It also marks this foundational moment in the history of Israel where they emerged as a separate nation no longer under the authority of Pharaoh in Egypt. Ultimately, though, the purpose of Passover wasn't simply to deliver Israel from Egypt, but ultimately to glorify the God of Israel. Certainly, deliverance and redemption were critical. But through that deliverance, God would ultimately be glorified through it. And all the first eight plagues that took place were, were, had purpose and intent. It was the ninth and tenth plagues that, that occurred that really focused on how little of power and authority Pharaoh and the other gods of Egypt really had. The ninth plague, Darkness if you're familiar with Egyptian mythology, Egyptian religious systems, you would know that the sun god was named Ra. You'd also know that Pharaoh was considered a god and that Ra was Pharaoh's father. When the ninth plague falls over Egypt, this is a direct judgment on Pharaoh and his quote-unquote family to show how powerless and how little authority they really had Over the world, where the the God of Israel suddenly showed his power and authority and might over the the gods of Egypt. And as the Egyptians lived in darkness, it displayed how weak and powerless Ra was, how weak and powerless Pharaoh was, and it displayed the power and authority that the God of Israel had over Pharaoh and Ra. And then the 10th plague. If Ra is considered the father of Pharaoh, the firstborn of Pharaoh would be considered the son of God. And this last plague becomes this final blow to Pharaoh and his family. The death of all firstborn become God's revelation to the Egyptians that Pharaoh was powerless to stop the will of God. And even the quote-unquote son of God, son of Pharaoh, couldn't, protect, couldn't be protected from the judgment of the God of Israel. You see, the plague of the firstborn wasn't just an arbitrary decision that God was trying to, to, to communicate here. God was addressing the heart of Egyptian worship. And we see in this that Passover becomes this declaration of God's holiness, His transcendent and unique power and authority over all creation. Passover becomes a becomes this, this declaration of God's faithfulness that God had not forgotten about the Israelites, that even when they had been in slavery for 430 years, things kept getting bleaker and bleaker. God was with them, and He was going to show them a way out. And Passover becomes a declaration that God is their hope for a future and for, future, and for freedom. It also becomes a declaration of Israel choosing God and God choosing Israel. The reality, of course, is that as, as, as important as Passover was and is for the Israelites, it was still limited. It still fell short. It ultimately couldn't deliver them from the one area of bondage that we all need freedom from, sin. Sin we are all trapped in it. We all fall short. Just like the Israelites under bondage from the Egyptians, we we all have our own bondage. We all have our own sin that entraps us, enslaves us. Maybe it's anger or bitterness, judgmentalism, discord or gossip, greed or consumerism. Maybe it's fear. The list can go on and on and on. But we all have our own sin. We all have our own Egypt that has trapped us. And as we begin to explore and understand the first Passover, we see that the blood was spread on the doorposts, not with something arbitrary, but something very specific, a hyssop branch. Now, hyssop was, is basically a small, bushy, minty plant. And as the hyssop branch was dipped into the blood and spread over the doorposts, there was nothing magical about the blood or, or divine about it. It didn't have any, offer any sort of divine powers. But rather that blood with the hyssop branches was a sign or the symbol that, that the Israelites were aligning themselves with the God of Israel. They were partnering with what God was about to do, his redemptive story in their, in their, in their history. And after that first Passover, the hyssop branch becomes this continual... Uh, it's continually associated with the removal of sin throughout the Old Testament until we see it again in the New Testament in John chapter 19, verse 29. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. If you're unfamiliar with where that passage came from, it's where Jesus is hanging on the cross, dying for yours and my sins. And the hyssop plant continues to be this major, continues to, to, to illustrate a major role in the redemption of sin when it is used again while Jesus died on the cross. Why is this important? As Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter five verse seven, "Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed." Jesus is our Passover lamb. See, the Passover revealed to us the larger redemptive plan that God unfolds through Jesus in the Gospels. It's Jesus' blood that has set us apart. That the wrath of sin has passed over us because Jesus died a perfect death for each one of us. That Jesus became the final tactic to defeat the opposition. Where in the Passover... The Israelites were invited into the tactics that God would unfold in Egypt. This one, this story with Jesus, this only really involves one person. But unlike in the game of chess where we might see various tactics used and the pawns are sacrificed so that the king might live, in God's kingdom it's different. In God's kingdom the king sacrifices himself so that the pawns might live. And the hyssop plant continues to symbolize the act of sin deliverance and is ultimately fulfilled through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the first Passover lamb becomes this symbol that points us towards Jesus as the ultimate deliverer, the ultimate redeemer, the ultimate act of God's love for humanity, inviting us to choose him as our Passover lamb, to align ourselves with him as our Passover lamb, to choose Jesus as our Savior, Through the Passover, God revealed Himself as the God of Israel, who remembered His covenant, and through Jesus, a new covenant was established. We're going to show a video here, and and it's it's recounting. It's it's a it's it's not a tr- it's based on the account of Simon of Cyrene, and and then I'm going to fin- I have a few more finish- a few more things. I'm going to say, do I need to shut off the lights up here?
1: I was going into the city to celebrate the Passover and he he was being let out of the city as a Passover lamb. But we didn't we didn't understand that. Um, when I got to Jerusalem it wasn't what I expected. I mean, there was like Ten times more people there than the last time that I'd, I'd been there to celebrate Passover. And it just seemed like the whole city was angry. Like just, just mobs of angry people. And all of a sudden this this, this guard, the this soldier, he grabs me. And, I mean, he literally just pulls me out of the crowd. And he says... For me to carry this guy's cross, if if this guy's blood it gets on me, it it stains me and I, I can't I can't celebrate the Passover. That's the whole reason I was there. It was hard to see the man through the blood. And then our eyes met. And I knew this man was not a liar. He was not a, uh, a crazy man with grand ideas. He was, he was the Messiah. I carried um, what I could. But he uh, he carried he carried most of it. We we began we began to walk. I I, I heard the insults that, that they shouted at him and and now at me. I felt the spit. I felt his his blood on me they'd taken a a crown made of thorns and they they smashed it on his head and, and, and blood ran into his eyes they laid him out on a cross and they they nailed his hands and his feet to it and they 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 lifted it up and he he had, he had all of his weight on that one spike through his feet and he would he would he would push up with all of his might and, and gasp for a breath to stay alive and I couldn't, I couldn't watch it he did that for hours I couldn't watch it and, and I looked down and I remember I remember seeing my hands my hands were stained with with his blood the the blood that I thought would would make me unclean and I realized it's the blood it's the blood that, that makes me clean he breathed his last breath and he died And that was a uh, that was the day that I helped Jesus carry That was the day that I helped Jesus carry my cross He hung and died on my
0: cross Jesus, the Passover Lamb. Through the Passover, God revealed Himself as the God of Israel, who remembered his covenant. And through Jesus, a new covenant was established. A covenant that we remember through the bread and the juice. For the Israelites, after the first Passover, they would have taken this, and they would have had this annual festival that would mark the new year and serve as a reminder of God's faithfulness and covenant with the Israelites. Jesus, though, becomes the Passover lamb for all of us, all of humanity. After Jesus, we receive communion as a reminder of God's love for humanity and his establishing a new covenant in his blood and his body not just for the Israelites, but for all of us. And it's through communion that we express the joy of salvation and, that, and the hope that we have in Christ's triumph over sin and Satan. So this morning, before we receive communion, I want to spend a couple minutes just sharing some very specific instructions that Paul gives to the Corinthians, as a reminder for us in preparation to receive the Lord's Supper this morning. One, examine your own hearts. If there are things in your life that are creating distance between you and God right now, we're going to provide some space and time for you to address that. Confess. Ask for forgiveness. Repent. Two, Be at peace with others in the body. If there are those of you who are in the congregation this morning, who are at odds with someone else in the church, who are at odds with someone in your family, address it before you receive communion. If you're recognizing I'm not gonna have time to do that, that person's not here right now, just let the let them pass and there's no judgment there. And lastly, have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to invite you if you if you do not have a relationship with Jesus to choose him. If you haven't made a decision to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to do that. Maybe you can relate to the Israelites where you've been fighting and fighting with yourself, with others, and you're just caught in your own sin and hopelessness, and and you have your own Egypt that is trapping you, or you have your own Pharaoh that's, that's been oppressing you, I want to invite you to choose Jesus, to embrace the reality that he is your Passover lamb, so that you might experience a new life in him because the cross that he hung on was yours. As Israel made a choice at the Passover to obey or respond to the opportunity to respond in an act of faith and be spared, Jesus also gives us that opportunity to respond in faith now as well. If that's you, if you would like to choose Jesus in faith, there's nothing magical about words. What it has more to do with is your praying a truth in your heart that, of something that you believe to be true, something that you're choosing to align yourself with. If that's you, just simply say, Jesus, I know I'm not free. I know that I've made choices that, that I'm not proud of, that I regret, that I'm sorry for, that I don't know how to get out of. I pray that you would set me free. That I would know that I am forgiven. That I would know that I have become a new person in Jesus. Being made whole, washed clean, chosen by Jesus now and forever. Amen. I want to invite Patrick, Gary and the rest who are serving in communion, if they can come join me to the front as we receive communion this morning.